Hosea. Hosea chapter 3 is our sermon text this evening, verses 1 through 5. Let's hear now the inerrant and infallible word of God. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, thank you so much for this passage of scripture. Thank you for inspiring Hosea to write it down. Thank you for working through this man of God. Thank you for preserving his words for us even till today, 2022. We ask that it would have the same effect in us that it has had in your people uh, from time immemorial. We ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I think one of the hardest things for us to to try and convey to another person is the depth of our love for another person. You think of uh, maybe trying to convey your love to a child, uh, the depth of that love, and that's why we exchange gifts, isn't it? I want you to see my thoughtfulness and and how much you mean to me. I, I want to demonstrate to you in some tangible way how much I value you. How much your relationship means to me. How much I, how, the, the depth of my affection for you. And I remember um, early on in my, uh, in, before Michelle and I were engaged, I think one of our first Valentine's Day days together, uh, she came over to my parents. I was living at home at that point. Um, and I prepared a meal for her. And we enjoyed that meal together out on the sunroom porch And uh, we got to the very end, and I had made a wonderful dessert, uh, brown sugar pudding. I'd never made it before. Followed the directions to a T, and we both put it in our mouth at the same time. And immediately I knew that something wasn't right. And I said, Michelle, spit it out. And she was relieved. She spit it out. And I had used imitation brown sugar instead of real brown sugar. And it tasted absolutely terrible. But in that was my attempt to show my love for this woman who would one day be my bride. We do uh, crazy things like that uh, to try and demonstrate our love to one another. One of the perhaps most endearing ways that we demonstrate love for one another is that after After all these years, the vows that we took many years ago, we continue to honor. The times when you see your loved one sick in the bathroom, bent over, and things that you never could have imagined before, perhaps on the emergency room floor, all of these things, you are there. And yet, all of that, 
brothers and sisters in Christ, can only pale in comparison to God's love for you. I think as we go through 14 chapters, 14 laborious chapters of Hosea and chapters of Joel, one of the things that you and I should be thunderstruck by is that God would persevere in love for a people. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul, Paul captures the love of God, I, I think in the only phrase that possibly, it possibly can capture it. He says that the love of God surpasses knowledge. Have you ever thought about that? That this is, the, of all the things that we could think of in, in, in Paul's systematic theology, we could read through Romans and the, the, the immense theology of the book of Romans, and there are so many things that we might say, that surpasses knowledge. Um, we might read the, the wonderful book of Colossians or Ephesians and say, that surpasses knowledge. But when it comes down to it, for, for Paul, the thing that surpasses knowledge is that God would love me in Christ. I wonder if you've ever meditated on that. What does it mean that God's love for his people in Christ surpasses knowledge? Well, what he means is that the love of God cannot be grasped by the human mind. It, it's, it's simply beyond us. It is, there, there are little trinkets of it still. We talked about the love of a father for his children this morning and, and trying to convey wisdom to them so that they could live blessed in the Lord. That, that's a, a vestige of God's love for us but it cannot be expressed in cards. It cannot be expressed in flowers. You cannot go to the seashore and, and understand it and grasp it in its fullness. And so God has to give you things like Hosea. Okay? And, and use a man like Hosea and, and, and all of the things that he called Hosea's, uh, Hosea to do so that in some way he can tell you the depth of his love for you. In Hosea, I think we have 14 chapters of God's effort to describe the infinite and unchangeable love that he has for his people. It's an, it's an unchangeable love. Nothing can remove God's love from those whom he chooses to love. And as we get here to chapter 3, uh, the text moves from the narrative. This is the last part of the narrative. So uh, if you enjoy narrative portions of Scripture where it's, it's just the, the, the part where we record history, this is the last part. The rest of it is a poetic condemnation um, from chapters 4 to 14. But there's another interesting thing here in chapter 3. This is the only time that Hosea will speak directly to Gomer. The only time. Let's notice a few things about God's love. Then from this passage, we will see that God's love, God's love is an affection for unfaithful people. We're trying to put some, some parameters around God's love. How, how would we describe it for, for someone else? Well, God's love is it's an affection for an unfaithful people. Notice what we read in verse 1. And the Lord said to me, here God again is speaking to Hosea, giving him some more instructions. Go again 
love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, even though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So what do we find at this point in our, in our narrative? Well, Hosea went, he gathered up Gomer, brought her into his home. They had three children. And we think in, in Hosea's mind, maybe they're mine, maybe they're not my children. And now we, we come to this point in the narrative and Hosea and Gomer's gone back to her old way of life. She's gone back to other men. She's gone back to her adulterous uh, ways. And, and notice what God calls Hosea to do. Go to her and draw her back. But, but isn't it interesting here that God didn't just say to Hosea, get your wife back. What are the words Notice the words. Go again and love her. Love her. This is the only way that you can convey my love for my people to my people. Don't just get her back, Hosea. You go and you set your affection on this woman again. Give her all the rights and the privileges of a wife, Hosea. Gather her back to yourself. Bring her back into your home and be a husband to her. But we notice that she's loved by another man. Literally, she is loved by someone who is Hosea's neighbor. That's the word that we find. Not just the the Hebrew term for man, but the Hebrew term for neighbor. Somebody who who ought to have the kind of affection for Hosea as to say, no, you are Hosea's wife. The requirement of the law here in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 says this, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, do you know what the requirement is? It's capital punishment. Both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This this is the requirement of God's law. And so we have here a picture of God's love for Israel. God is coming after her. God is going to take Israel again. And he's going to be a husband for her. He will set his affection on her. But notice what Israel loves. Raisin cakes. That's the picture of you and me. On the one hand, you have the infinite, unchangeable Love of the God who made you. And yet, what do you and I go after? What do we pursue? What do we spend our money for? Raisin cakes. Give me that thing that that whets my appetite. Give me that thing that gives me just a little bit of temporary joy. When on the other hand, you have an infinite source of joy. Yet, give me the, the raisin cakes. And this is what Israel has chosen. I think one of the things that we take away from this first part is that you and I, you and I should never think of God's love as some sort of cold love. We talk of God's love, and 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 it is true that God loves you because he has chosen to love you. He has chosen before all eternity to set his love upon you, to love you, individual you. He has written your name in his book, and he has said, I will love Jean. I will love Emily and Dave. These are my people. I will love them and I will love them forever. 
And even though his love is a choice, it doesn't mean that his love is not an affection for you. And he's demonstrating it here through Isaiah. His love for you is the same kind of a love. It is so that you can relate to it, don't you see? So that you can have some tangible sense of God's love for you. He demonstrates it in a man who goes to a woman who has been unfaithful to him and sets his affection upon her. But we ought also never think that God loves you because you deserve his love. And this is, this is one of the ways that the modern church perverts God's love. Do you see this? Even in the songs that are sung in worship, they sing, well, 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 God loves me, therefore I must be something, right? God loves me, therefore I must have some immense value. And, and that's not to take everything away from that. But when we look at Hosea, that's not the picture that God wants you to see. God wants you to see that he loves you even though you deserve the exact opposite. He has set his affection upon you even though you deserve his wrath. God loves you because you are hidden in Christ. That's the only explanation. How can God do this for me? Well, because even though you deserve and your neighbor deserves to undergo God's wrath and his condemnation, instead, your brother has come along and borne that wrath and you are hidden in Christ, and there you enjoy his love. But one of the ways that you ought to look at this and apply it to your own life is in this way. If this is a picture of God's reconciliation, you cannot conceive of reconciliation with anyone else in a way that is less than this. Who is initiating it? Well, the offended. The one who is offended by you is the one who is initiating that reconciliation. When we say that we forgive others, what we ought to do is look to Hosea 3 and say, this is what I think it means to forgive you, and therefore, what am I going to do? Commit myself to you again. Now, I might not trust you fully yet. That has to be built over time. But at the very least, I'm going to be reunited to you. I'm going to restore fellowship with you, and I'm going to try to bless you. I'm going to set my heart upon you. This is the picture of biblical reconciliation. God loves you with an unchanging love, and his love is an affection for unfaithful people. Let's notice another thing about this. God's love is a redemptive love. Look at verses 2 and 3. So I bought her. Those are. That, goes in a, that should go in a card, shouldn't it? The Hallmark Isle. My dear, I bought you for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Hosea, think about this now for just a second. Hosea went and bought his wife back. This, it's either the picture of property or he's paying the bride price uh, once again. He pays, notice, 15 shekels of silver. That's uh, it's kind of an odd thing to us, a foreign thing. A shekel was just a way of weighing things out. It's uh, about eight grams or five ounces in modern times. Uh, maybe a small silver bracelet or a silver spoon is all this is. Just to give you some sense of comparison, when Abraham 
went and bought Sarah's burial plot, he paid for a piece of land 400 shekels of silver. Or roughly 300 times what Hosea went and paid for Gomer. It's an extremely small price, along with some grain. But I want you to notice then, here we have the nature of redemption. Think, Think about this just for a second. Hosea initially paid a bride price for Gomer. She came, and they were united in matrimony. She became his wife. They had three children. She belonged to him, and he belonged to her. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, her body was his, and his body was hers. They were one. They were one flesh. Hosea possessed her, and she possessed him. Notice what is happening here. Hosea now is buying again something that already belonged to him. This is the picture of redemption. You belong to God. You are his possession. Why? Because he made you. He formed you. He gave you a soul. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You belong to him. There's no excuse. You are his. You aren't anyone else's. No one else can possess you. No one can take you away. And yet, in your redemption, God has come down in the person of Jesus Christ and paid a price for you again. This is extraordinarily mysterious, isn't it? Why would he pay two times for you? Why would he buy something that he already possessed. Well, again, it's a demonstration of his love for you. And in one sense, when you sit here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and you observe the preaching of the word, you are observing the role of preaching. The minister is sent to protect and to preserve the wife of another man. You belong to someone else. You don't belong to the minister. You are God's, God's spouse. The church of Jesus Christ is Christ's wife. And the minister is here to, to remind you whose you are, who purchased you, to whom you belong. You belong to Christ. You belong to God through Christ. And so preaching the word is a ministry of Christ delivered through the minister to remind you of that very truth, that God loves you. He is providing for you He's guiding you, preaching the word then. And through the word, God is lavishing his love upon you. And what is he doing? He is preparing you for the day of the consummation of your marriage with Christ. God's love is a redemptive, purchasing love. Thirdly, God's love is a sanctifying love. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come and fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The first thing that God is going to do now, bringing his wife in, He's going to take her through the days of purification again and prepare her just as 
a new bride would do, removing her from all of the filth, all of the pollution to prepare her for himself. He's going to take her through a period of difficult time. Notice what he's going to do. The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince. He's going to take away uh, the civil magistrate. They aren't going to have a ruler anymore. He's going to take that away. He's going to take away their religious worship, all of their ceremony. He's going to take away the sacrifice and the pillar. And he's going to remove from them the ephod and the household gods, false worship. In other words, this will be a period of renewal and sanctification for God's people, for his bride. This is a period of covenantal purification. But... And God is going to send Israel, in a sense, all the way back to childhood. They think that they've grown up. They think that they've become a mature man. They think that they can walk on their own. But on their own, all that Israel has done is walked in unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he's taking them back. We're going to go all the way back to before Moses. We're going to go back to before the completion of the Torah. We're going to go back to pre-sacrifice, pre-kingship, pre-nation. God is going to strip away their national identity. He's going to take all that which made Israel (coughs) away from them. In other words, here, Hosea is describing the period of the captivity. This is the period that Daniel calls the, the 70 weeks. It is the period in which Israel would have no revelation from God. This period of preparation but it won't last forever, will it? The preparation will be met with a consummation. God is preparing his people for a consummation. Notice, they will return and seek the Lord their God, according to verse 5. They will seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is the, the inauguration of the gospel era that Hosea refers to. The incarnation of Christ when God began to draw all nations to himself. In this era, the distinction between the Lord their God and the King David would disappear and be fulfilled in one man. Christ is the Davidic King who is also the Lord. Here we ought to remember that even though sometimes we are, we might be tempted to understand God's love when we speak of it in these terms that God loves unfaithful people. It is a redemptive love. We might be tempted to think of God's love as too much leniency, an indulgence. We might be tempted to say, look, God loves no matter what. And that's true. Because you can never earn or deserve God's love. But we also understand that God's love also allows for consequences for unfaithfulness. He disciplines those whom he loves. Those whom God loves will ultimately love him back. And notice another thing. That God defines his true followers as those who seek him. Do you notice that? They will return. They will seek me. I think the question that you and I should wrestle with tonight as we we think about God's love lavished upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ, pursuing us, sanctifying us, redeeming us, purchasing something that already belonged to Him, 
Ultimately, I know that God loves me because he transforms my heart and he causes me to be one who loves him back and seeks him. Is that true of you? Are you seeking after Christ? Are you seeking his wisdom for your life? Do you seek the counsel of his word in your decisions, in your view of life? Listen, the essence here, the essence of Christianity is being displayed for us on these pages. The essence of Christianity is fellowship with the divine Godhead through Christ. It's not it's not encompassed by the, all of the trappings that we might think, especially this week of the ashes on my forehead and giving something up for Lent. That, that doesn't capture what Christianity is. It's not those things. Christianity is you, individual you, enjoying fellowship with the divine Godhead who loves you back, demonstrates that love for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a Christian because God has pursued you and united you to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, perhaps even now, we, we feel the hardness of our own hearts because meditating upon your love for us as it is demonstrated in Homer or Hosea's love for Gomer. Lord, it doesn't, it doesn't move us sufficiently. So we ask you, Father, to move us. We feel the hardness of our own heart that, that in some sense, each and every one of us can say, man, I'm thinking about those raisin cakes. I can't wait to go home and eat raisin cakes. I can't wait till tomorrow I get to eat raisin cakes. When if we would just lift our eyes and look into the eternal, there is a love for us that is not digested, that is not cast out. It abides and it abides and it abides. And I ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters here tonight that you would help us to love that which really does love us back and sustains us and nourishes us for all eternity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.